Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Thank you for your word that teaches us, that guides us that speaks to us, and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Make the Logos word a rhema word to us today. Speak to our hearts. Let it be uh, pure from your heart to ours, O God, as we commit this word to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been going through a lot of the great heroes of the Bible, seeing their their humanity, which is really helpful because sometimes we just see them, uh, we see heroes as not having humanity. And so we're going to look today as we've been going through um, Judges, we're going to look into the next one, which is Samson. And I encourage you, if you ever miss, please follow it. Please hear the messages on uh, SoundCloud. You don't want to miss anything because it's all themed together and it all speaks to us. So Samson, we definitely see a lot of humanity in Samson, but we also see, we see uh, how God used him, but we also see a lot of failure in that, how that played out in his life. So we're going to run through the story of Sam- Samson, and I want to frame it from a place of hope and purpose and the fear of God. Um, Samson's life being an extreme case study, uh, but still an accurate one. So, so I, I want to start off with a scripture that says these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. And that's important because these are three uh, key components that uh, are, are important things that we need to live in and, t- and carry us through this life into the life to come. So faith, hope, and love abide forever. What is hope? Um, sometimes we, we understand faith and, and hope um, is a word used in, in a lot of contexts. So the biblical definition of hope is important. It's, it's hoping or anticipating in a sure thing. So it's not chancy. It's not like I'm hoping it snows tomorrow uh, because we don't know if it will or not. We just would like it if it would. But biblical hope is when we hope in something that's promised by God. It's founded in what God has said, and he does not renege. So that's a totally different hope. It's a guaranteed hope. So what's the difference between faith and hope? Well, faith is used more of a noun, while hope is used more as a verb, and it entails waiting to be patient, to endure. When there's suffering present, the term may indicate that the individual is bearing affliction, patiently waiting for the Lord's deliverance. Hebrews 11.1 also um, talks about faith and hope, and it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So to understand the difference between faith and hope, faith involves intellectual assent to a set of facts and trust in those facts. So, um, and faith is important because it says faith the size of a mustard seed is enough to move a mountain. So we need to understand it is a mental assent. And to grow in faith, you actually have to exercise your mind, your thoughts um, so much because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith... Is, has to be applied in a way where you don't see it, but um, it's something you believe and it's based on its facts. So faith, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence and the things not seen. It involves 
intellectual assent. Um, hope is the earnest anticipation that comes with believing something. So hope is a confident expectation that stems from faith, naturally. So hope is a peaceful assurance that something that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. Hope must involve something that is yet unseen. As Romans 8.24 says, hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes in what they already have? And Titus 2.13 says, Jesus' return is our blessed hope. We can't see him yet. It's not happened yet, but we know. It's based on a fact. We know he's coming. We anticipate that event with joy. It will not fail us. Hope, biblical hope, does not disappoint us. I can hope it snows tomorrow, but I may be disappointed. But when our hope is in the things God has said, we are not disappointed. So... Um, we, we can only confidently hope in what's promised. Faith substantiates hope because faith is based on facts. You can't have faith for something you hope for, but you can have hope for something you have faith in. So faith is the assurance, the confidence, the confirmation, the reality, the essence, the supporting ground of what we hope for. It's the foundation that supports the things hoped for. So if we don't have the facts clear, we can have misguided hope. And a lot of people have misguided hope because they don't understand the facts. And some people don't have hope because they don't know the facts to have faith in. Even when it comes to applying our faith, we apply our faith to salvation. We apply our faith to what happened, to what Jesus did on the cross. Many people don't understand that what Jesus did on the cross not only made provision for the forgiveness of our sins, but it made provision for physical healing, for deliverance, for so many things in our lives. So when I go to pray for someone or encourage someone that is believing God for, for his healing, it cannot, it doesn't have to be a hope that's just based on, uh, I hope it snows tomorrow, but it can be a hope based on the word of God. And that's where we need to know the facts so we can have faith and, and that faith, uh, we can have then hope based on that faith. So that's a whole nother teaching that I'm not going to do, but just needed to prerequisite this message a little bit with that, and hopefully it's something you can take away with you. Um, another way I want to frame this teaching is that we need to see everything in the context of the kingdom of God, and that's going to be really important because we get tripped up when we don't. So I say this because we don't understand and have our, if we don't understand and have our sights on the kingdom of God, if we don't lean, learn to walk in that awareness and a dependency on the Holy Spirit, we cannot walk in our true purpose and we can easily be misguided and even have misguided hope. So we live in two realities, which will eventually culminate into one reality. The kingdom of God is being established and carries on simultaneously to the kingdoms of the world which are in opposition to the kingdom of God. But eventually, the Bible says, all kingdoms will be swallowed up by the kingdom of God. Revelations eleven fifteen states, the kingdoms of this world is now the kingdom of the Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So we need to see our life in context of the kingdom of God, um, or, or our hopes can be misguided, not guaranteed, and not substantiated. And our gifts can be misused, our purpose thwarted, and our lives suffer unnecessary needless loss and pain. But on the other hand, even pain and loss can take on meaning and purpose 
when the kingdom of self is consumed in the kingdom of God. So, you know, if you see people in the world that suffer great loss or pain, they look for a way to bring meaning and purpose to that pain so that they can continue to live. Often in the loss of a loved one, they start foundations. Um, so, but in, in our lives, we need to understand that even when we suffer pain and loss, whether it's due to others, whether it's due to our own failure, whatever it's due to, there can be purpose, and we can still walk in our purpose of God, and we see that to the extreme in Samson's life. So we're going to start. The story of Samson is Judges 13 through 15, through 16. So we're just going to read Judges 13, uh, 1 through 5. And, um, and stay on that a little bit with the birth of Samson. So it said, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink, and you don't eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So there's a few things we see here. One, Samson is actually a type of Jesus, and there are many types of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. But the heralding of Samson's birth resembles and typifies the birth of Jesus. Samson came as a deliverer. Jesus came as our ultimate deliverer. Samson's birth was announced by an angel. The birth of Jesus was announced by an angel. And then by a whole choir of angels. Samson was born through a miraculous move of God on a barren woman. Jesus was born through an even more miraculous virgin conception. And even though we see types of Jesus... None, including Samson's, were deity in the flesh as Jesus was, and Samson's life did not quite pan out like Jesus's did. So there's a lot of types of Jesus, but none is Jesus. It all points to him. So we, we also see in this story the ways of God demonstrated, and this is so important, and I've shared this many times. In Exodus 33:13, Moses prayed, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. So we need to know the ways of God, not just worship him, not just uh, have this feel-good um, experience when we worship him, but, and we can't really know God without knowing his ways, and we need to know his ways because he works in certain ways. And, and we need to know and understand his ways to find favor with him. We need to know his ways be, um, so that we can, you know, even make right decisions or, or, or understand and get God. And so um, one of the ways that God loves working is through the impossible, and you'll see this throughout the Bible, and we see why. So, for one, God often used barren women to bring into the world some of the most amazing people, and it shows something about God and his ways, how he takes impossible situations and brings out of it the best. Never, never underestimate the direness of any situation. God loves using hard situations to show his glory and his strength. It's one of the ways he makes himself known. It's how he reveals himself as the only true God in this world. It's also a way he works to keep us in a place of dependency 
and needing to trust in him and his strength rather than our own. So, so these are the ways of God and, and some of the things he does. And we need to understand this. And I've said this so many times because when we get in difficult situations and start complaining, we don't understand the ways of God. And sometimes we don't want to push through and see how God will work and why he does that. Because it's not just about us, but it's about how he wants to reveal himself, not only to us, but reveal himself to others through us and through our situations and how he works through impossible situations. So we need to study and learn the word of God and, 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 and see his, and know and learn his ways and pray and ask God, show me your ways. I want to understand the ways you work. Um, another, another point we see in this, it says in verse uh, one that the people again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and as a result of that evil, God allowed them be to become subservient to the Philistines for 40 years. So we understand that disobedience results in captivity. And we see this over and over again with the Israelites. The reason why they were in slavery and oppression so often was because of their disobedience to God and his laws. Yet, God was a mighty deliverer and over and over again set them free and even used some of these situations to show his glory. So God, uh, you know, he just never ceases to amaze me as I've been studying, actually, personally, the book of Jeremiah. I mean, they were in such bad, bad state where, you know, on one hand, God's saying, enough, I can't do this anymore with you guys. And then he's just like saying, you know, I just, I, I care about seeing you in these difficult situations. So as much as uh, um, God brings discipline, it's a discipline of a father that loves so much. And, and one thing I, I took away from, as I'm studying the book of Jeremiah, is in all his power and might and toughness, God's really a softy. Because even when he's bringing judgment that he needs to bring, his heart is just loving and breaking for us. So our captivity may, be, may not be the same as theirs that we're, we're um, subject to another man's or nation's rule, but there are many ways we find ourselves in captivity from disobedience and bad decisions. Addictions are a form of captivity, whether it's drugs, sexual behavior, pornography, eating disorders. There's bondage and mental illness, physical illness. There's bondage and greed and worship of things rather than God. Um, and most of these have their origin in disobedience to God's law, whether by us, by our parents. Um, it's, it, we're all all affected, and we all affect those under us by our decisions and disobedience. So we need to understand it's not just about us as much as in this country we like to think it's just my choice. It's not. Your choice affects so many others. So the people did evil. It says uh, a very relevant term nowadays, um, and even the Bible says there's a time when people call good evil and evil good. So do we even recognize what evil is? Sometimes when we think of evil, we just think of, uh, of serial killers or things like that. It's pictures that come into my mind. But 1 Timothy 4.2 says that in the latter days, people would be influenced by those whose conscience is seared as with a hot iron. So what happens when something is seared? If flesh is seared or burned, it no longer has life. 
It, it cannot feel. The nerve endings in that part of your body are dead and can no longer send signals back and forth to the brain. That part of your body has been deadened. There's no flow of life. There's no sensory experience. So when our conscience is seared, we have no sensory experience to good and evil, to right and wrong. And we see that a lot in our society. May, we may wonder, how, how do people do those things? But you know, there, there's a deadening of that sensory. So God is the author of life. We walk in life when we adhere to his word, follow our conscience, which he designed in us, to help us know good and evil, and to help us, and to walk in the fear of the Lord. So constant disobedience will desensitize our conscience. And we need to have a healthy fear of God and understand what the fear of God is. So Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech, it says. And, and so the fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. And someone I listened to once, I'll never forget this analogy. It's stuck in my head. It must have been um, over uh, 40 years ago that I heard it. Um, and, and she was trying to teach on the fear of the Lord. And she said it's like if there's a whole pile of cow manure, you know, uh, sitting there. And, and, and you're saying, please, please. Please keep me from jumping into it. Please, please, I just want to jump into it. Please stop me. She said, that's what the, the fear of the Lord is like. It's, it's when, when we, we, sh we are not wanting to be in the gunk of, of evil and sin and what it does. So when we have a healthy fear of God in our lives, we're not, we're not begging to keep us from running into it. We're healthily, smartly walking away from it. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We need to know God, his word, in order to be obedient to it. You know, many Christians today, unfortunately, have read articles that so many Christians, especially younger generation of Christians coming up, don't know, don't know the word. Don't know the left from the right when it comes to what the Bible says. A lot of stuff is experiential. A lot of stuff is just, you know, whatever you think is good. And when I first became a Christian, I, I didn't know the word of God. I knew some of it. I knew what I had thankfully learned um, through parochial school, which helped me to learn some of the Bible. But I didn't know a lot, and I made up my own thoughts of what I thought was right, you know, I, and until I began to read the Bible and said, okay, that's not right, you know, and so we need to know the word of God to know what is right and what is wrong and what we need to be obedient to and not obedient to, not in order to bring us to salvation, but in order to make our lives right here on earth. So um, God's laws. They play out just like the law of gravity. You can't fight them. So it's not that God is, is wanting to just be like, just do what I say because I'm on an ego trip. But it's like, do what I say because it will pan out well for you if you do because he loves us. And so we, if we understand love is God's greatest attribute, we will understand everything else under it. <clears throat> so we're all created by God with purpose and design. God has created each one of us with gifts, strengths, talents, abilities to fulfill a special purpose that he has for us. Samson's design included his superhuman strength for the purpose God had for him. We see that when we read the first few verses, that God 
uh, brought him into this world to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. So he was born, conceived, born, um, spoken of at, with this purpose. And God gave him qualities to ca carry out that purpose. And so all of us are born and saved into a purpose God has for us. And God is just so intricate in his weaving of us that our gifts, our qualities, our strengths, everything is tied to our purpose. Even when we get saved, we, have, we are born with specific tendencies and talents. And then when we give our life to Christ, we even are given spiritual gifts. And they all connect together for the purpose God has for us. And we need to know that, that we are all designed by God, special. So Samson was designed by God for the purpose and the call God had in his life. And so we're going to read into his story, and we're not going to read it through the scripture, but I'm just going to condense it. The Philistines were ruling over Israel, and as Samson grew up, the Spirit of God began to move on him, and he begins to discover his gifts and his strength, and he experiences killing a lion with his bare hands. And then later, um, he discovers honey in the carcass of that lion, and so Samson goes out of town, sees a woman he likes, a daughter of one of the Philistines, and asks his parents if he can have her as a wife. His parents didn't like the idea, and even here we're already seeing um, some of how God works with us, even when his call is upon our life, and we may not make the right decisions. Was it God's uh, number one intention to have um, Samson marry a Philistine woman? I can't say that, but I can say that God just works through every situation that you're in and you find yourself in. We find that Esther married um, the king uh, who was not a Jew, was not of her faith, because, but God put her in that situation. And here Samson's making a decision. It's not the best decision, but yet God has a plan in all of this, it says. So Samson now has a pre-wedding feast with a bunch of Philistine men for a week, as was their custom. So 30 men show up for this week-long bachelor party. And Samson's playing around with them, and he bets them to guess a riddle that only he knows. And the riddle is based on him killing the lion and the honey in the carcass, which he never told anybody about. So he knows they're not going to be able to guess it. But they go along with this. They probably had a little too much to drink and just said yes to anything. Um, but losing the bet meant they had to all buy Samson a new suit, one from each of them. And if Samson lost, he had to give each of them a new suit, 30, that he would have to distribute. So when they realize they can't figure this, this riddle out, they try to shake down his soon-to-be wife to find out the answer so they don't have to fork over the cost of the bet. So now, of course, Samson's wife's a Philistine. She has loyalties to those people. And so a word of wisdom to those still to get married that, you know, you want to marry someone that will have the same loyalties you have. And that's why it's so important who we choose. And so he didn't have someone that had any loyalties to the Israelites or to God's, to God's people or purposes or to God himself. So anyway, she puts on the waterfall and, um, and, you know, finds out the riddle from Samson. And then she tells her Philistine gentleman friends, and they win the bet. 
Now we begin to see some of the emerging of Samson's weaknesses or his Achilles heel, the place where the enemy would capitalize on him. We all have those places. We need to identify those places, those weak areas where the enemy can try to snare us up. And trust me, when he finds them, he will remember them. And so um, if we identify them early and deal with them, then it won't have the better of us. Unfortunately, Samson never dealt with it. So this time, it just cost Samson some money. But as the story goes on, it begins to cost him much more than that. So Samson gets angry um, that all this happened, and he uses his superhuman strength to acquire the merchandise. He kills 30 people, gets their coats. Um, you know, he gives the coats to them, fulfills his bet. Then he goes to chill at his dad's house for a bit to cool off, because he's still pretty angry. During that time, his father, uh, the fiance of his, uh, the father of his fiance, figures Samson now hates his daughter, so he gives his daughter to another friend of Samson's. Samson doesn't know that. He goes back to be with his uh, fiance, and he discovers this, and he gets even angrier, and again uses his strength. He catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, sends them into the fields, uh, lights them on fire, two by two, sends them into the fields of the Philistines, destroying all their crops. Then the Philistines respond, and they get so angry. Um, they kill the ex-fiancé and her father for bringing this trouble on. Then Samson retaliates again, and more men go down. And so God was using what was going down with Samson and the Philistines, even though Samson wasn't in his purest and perfected form. God was still working his purpose. And God is always working his purpose. Um, and if we get our eyes on that and understand he has a purpose, let's get in with that, even with our failures, even with our shortcomings, even with our humanity. So God brought Samson into this world for a purpose. It's sometimes messy, but God is always working, even in our messes. You know, we can't have a perfect Christianity. We don't have a perfect church. We don't have anything perfect, but God doesn't abandon us. Sometimes we abandon each other. People abandon the church. People abandon all kinds of things because there's something wrong with there's always going to be things wrong. Thank God he doesn't abandon us when there's things wrong. He's still there working his purpose. Often we give him a bad rep, and he still works with us. You know, I, I used to get upset when I'd see some people, especially in, in leadership in other churches, that would make huge mistakes and say, God, how do you let them get away with that? You know, they just, they just make you look bad. And it's amazing how God is still, like he'll bring, there'll be discipline, there'll be consequences, but God doesn't abandon us. And so we all need to know that because we're all in that place somewhere or another. So um, God is always working even in our messes, but it needs, it's always working when it ties into his purposes. So we always need to see, are we, are we in his purposes? Are we still trying to get there? Um, the next point is that our misguided motives is about our misguided motives and the kingdom principle. So in Judges 15.7, Samson said, um, since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you, but after that I will quit. And we see something important here. This shows that Samson wasn't interested in bringing deliverance to Israel as much as he was interested in bringing his own personal revenge and retribution. Because when his revenge is satisfied, he's willing to quit, whether or not the purposes of God are satisfied. Do you understand this point? It's important. Because sometimes, you know, we'll just go so far till we get what we want, 
what satisfies our need, and we're not thinking of, well, what is it that God wants to do? When we don't continue to pursue what is the purpose of God. And so he didn't care. He, he was born for that purpose, to bring deliverance for the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines, but he didn't really care as much as he cared about um, his own life and what mattered to him. So even though Samson didn't pursue the call of God, the call of God kept pursuing him, in the Philistines pursuing him, so that they attempted to take him captive, but it only led to more of their own harm and further deliverance for God's people. God's still working here, you know, even though it's, it's uh, a little messy. And so then the Philistines chill for a while, just like the devil. He chills till he sees another opportune time and then pounces. Make no mistake. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be alert. And be sober-minded because your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's not constantly chewing you up. He's waiting for the right time, for the right situation. And so that's what he was doing. You know, he, the devil hated the Israelites because they were walking as God's people. And so he would want to use... Uh, the Philistines, to destroy them. And so they're just waiting. And Samson used the gifts God had given him for his own end to fulfill his own desire to boast and show off, to take revenge on those that slighted him, um, to satisfy not only his agenda but his rage. So there was a tainting and a mixed motivation, yet God's hand was still on him. And yet he, God did not revoke the gifts or the call. So he didn't take away his strength and he didn't take away the purpose. It's there. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. He doesn't renege. He doesn't take it away, even when we're messing up. And so Samson did ultimately yield himself to that purpose, but it was not without great cost. We too, as believers that are wanting to pursue God, can have tainted and mixed motives, not even know it. So when we look how Samson's life continues, it should motivate us to get our motivation in check. Our ultimate motivation needs to be, and this is how you can live your life successfully, is to seek and serve God in his kingdom. So Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God. And we'll understand this even in, in, in light of revelations that said all the kingdoms are consumed by the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13, 44 says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field, which a man found. And then he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field so he can have that treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. What it is, it's selling out for Christ completely. It's an undivided, single-hearted devotion to Jesus and his kingdom that overrides and swallows up everything. It's radical. Yes, it's radical. When, when, when I first came to Christ, it was, it was in the um, 70s, and, and it was the last great revival, and we were called Jesus freaks because we were radical for Jesus. 
that was the best thing. And out of that whole move, there were so many works, churches, ministries established that still are functioning today and growing because of that great movement, because of so many people that radically got saved. And so don't ever, we need to be radical in our walk with God. We need to be radical in our devotion to God. The kingdom of God is here, and it must consume every other kingdom in our heart. And this isn't just for those in full-time ministry. It's for all of us, no matter what our career. So as with Samson, God designed and wired you for something, gave you gifts and abilities. You may be using it for your own end, for an agenda, even for not bad things, to fulfill desires, get what you need in life, build a career, make money, make friends, whatever. God does not strip you of your gifts or the purpose he's called you to. Whether or not it means anything to you, his hand is still upon you, waiting for you to yield yourself to him so he can use you for the purpose he saved you for. And God always has two objectives in his purposes, to deliver the objects of his love, so part of all of our call and purpose will have to do with bringing people out of darkness into light, with, with delivering people from the bondage of the enemy that they're in. And another objective always is that God wants to make himself known to all the people that don't follow him, that they will know he is God because this will help bring them to him. So that's always tied up in our purpose in one way or another. So the next thing we want to take away from this is to learn from our mistakes and don't repeat them. So Samson now was judging Israel for 20 years and just kind of laying low. You know, he wasn't, as I said, he wasn't as interested. Um, but in chapter 16, the Philistines still tried to ensnare him because they knew he was a threat to them. And it didn't work. It was unsuccessful. Um, so it didn't turn out well for them. But then Samson falls in love with the wrong person. He was always looking for love in the wrong places. So here he is with Delilah. Falls in love with Delilah. And is, this is like the devil. The enemy's like, ha-ha. They remember. They remembered how they got his first girlfriend, his fiance, to, you know, to, to bail on him. So he is Delilah. She's one of them. So his enemy sees the opportunity, finds how they can get Sam's mouth the way. So they want to do away with the purpose of God in his life, which was delivering the, the Israelites from them. So in our scenario, the, Philipp, the Philistines represents the devil. The devil knows your strengths. He knows your purpose from God on this earth, which is to bring people out of captivity, and he observes your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses. You may not get duped the first time. I mean, you may get duped the first time or the second, but if we continue to entertain our own end first, if we fail to yield and surrender ourselves to God, eventually one of the enemy's tricks will work. And with Samson, each new attempt got him closer to his doom. The devil's always looking for that Achilles heel. So you got to beat it. You got to deal with it. Samson didn't deal with it the first time he should have known. So, so here he is now with Delilah and the lords of the Philistines go to Delilah and they say, you need to find out the secret to Samson's strength. And so what does Delilah do? The same thing as fiance did. Oh, she puts on the waterfalls, the complaints, begs, and persists with him. She didn't give up. You'd think Samson would have learned what happened with his first fiance. He didn't. 
So she persists and persists. On the first two attempts, he gives her totally bogus answers. But on the third attempt, he gets a little too close, dangerously close to the real reason for his strength. You know, we like to toy with things that are wrong. And it just brings us dangerously close to making a big mistake. Don't play with fire and you won't get burned. So interestingly, she also uses one of the oldest tricks in the book. How can you say you love me? It's amazing how people use that inference of not loving to manipulate people. Um, and so uh, that, you know, she continues to persist. And with patience and persistence, she succeeded to get what she wanted. Verse 16 says she pressed him daily with her words and urged him till his soul was anointed death. And let me just say something here. If only the children of God could be as patiently persistent as their enemies, as, uh, you know, when it comes to our prayers. Our prayers would be accomplishing a whole lot more if we were this patient and persistent. And Jesus told us to be patient and persistent in our prayers when we read the parable of the unjust judge. So this is something Jesus is actually telling us. I wish you would be persistent patiently persistent in your prayers, not giving up till it's done. Delilah was not giving up. And you know what? She got what she wanted. So with that patience and persistence, mission is accomplished. On the fourth attempt, Samson blows it and reveals his secret to her, the secret of his strength, that if his hair is shaved off, I don't know what he was thinking. Honestly, I don't know what he was thinking. What did he think was going to happen? I mean, three times they came in and they tied him up. They did all these things. They put his hair in braids, everything. What did he think was going to happen when he told them the real thing? Did he really think she was going to be loyal to him after three times he found the Philistines there after he told her? I don't know what he was thinking. I would really love to get in his head. But I think that of some of us. I think that sometimes when I'm ministering to someone I, I, I love dearly, just the, the, the past couple of weeks, just did the same thing. I'm like, and I say, what are you thinking? You saw what happened this time. And then this time, what were you thinking? The answer was, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. Well, that's not good. And each time we get too dangerously close to sabotaging our own life. So, he's overpowered. They were able to overpower him. It's not pretty from here on. It's not pretty. They gouge out his eyes. They bind him with chains, and he has no more strength. They put him in a dungeon to push a grinder, and that's his life, day in and day out. His freedom is gone, but it's not just his freedom. His purpose is called what made his life significant, gone in all appearances. Or was it? You see, he lost a lot. His life is not something any of us would want. But yet, no matter where we found ourselves, God's purpose can still be redeemed. Just at such a cost. And, and the love of God for you is, is, please, I don't want you to pay that cost. And it's our stupidity and stubbornness that causes us to pay that cost. 
But anyway, who are we to even say when it's over? I don't care what any of us have been through, what seemingly defeat you have experienced. I'm telling you, it's not over. And we need to have, hope is needed to have courage. And the abandonment of hope circumvents the purpose in our lives and our ability to fulfill those things. But even when we mess up, we can't give up. God did not give up on the purpose in Samson's life. And he didn't abandon it. But please, let's learn from his life. Because it didn't have to happen that way. We can be young, we can be old. Young people, you have much more choices ahead of you. Learn from his life. We can be older and have made choices that maybe we regret, but know that God's purpose. And you get significance in your life from God's purpose. So God's purpose is still there. And you will still feel the satisfaction of significance, even though you may have experienced some hardship in the process. And I don't think any of us have ever gone as far, experienced what Samson did. But you know, it says the... the the greater what's given you, the greater the accountability for that. So we read on to find that while he's in prison, his hair grows back. And one day, Samson was brought before the Philistines so they could mock him and mock his God. That was a mistake. You see, God really, like, that's when it's like, it's like, oh, no. And, and I love praying these kind of prayers. Honestly, when I feel like God's name is not being rightly represented. I, I hold that up to him. God, people need to know you. You need to be made known. Use this to reveal yourself. So they're mocking. They're, they're, they're saying their God's just won out. You know, that doesn't go over well. So, so Samson's just waiting and hoping for the day that he can continue. See, he had to have hope and knowledge of that purpose. He didn't give up on it because if he did, he wouldn't have recognized his time of opportunity. The day he could fulfill the purpose of God in his life. He had, he had hope in a sure thing. And now it wasn't misguided like it was before. So Samson's looking for the opportunity to fulfill what he's born for. And he asked God and God gave it to him. And so they bring Samson up to make fun of him, to, make, to say their gods won over his God and and he's blinded, his eyes are gouged out, and they didn't do this like in a nice surgical hospital, you know, it was like, ugh. So he managed to position himself with the help of whoever was guiding him between the two main pillars that held that building up, and everybody was there, all of the Philistines, everybody, everybody was there, everybody who's a who's who, everybody was packed, the whole crowd was out for this great event. And to mock Samson, to mock Samson's God. So he, he stands, he asks the guy, where's those two columns? And he stands between them. And he says, God, give me the strength one more time. And let me die with the Philistines. Now Samson's heart was in the right place. Now Samson cared about the kingdom of heaven, about the purpose of God, about the deliverance of the Israelites and the Philistines, because he didn't even care about his own life anymore, but he cared that God would do this. And so he said, I don't care if I live or die, take my life with them. But give me your favor. And so the anointing, the strength was there. His hair grew back. The strength was there. He pushed on those columns and everything collapsed, killing everybody in that place. This one act accomplished his entire life's mission. 
Nothing else mattered. He died a fulfilled man. He didn't abandon hope in its darkest time. Samson, during that time in prison, finally got it right, but at a great cost. We can learn much from his life. Ultimately, he did fulfill his purpose, but it didn't have to go down that way. Yet, as the psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than, dwell in, than be in the luxurious dwellings of the wicked. You see, I'd rather be Samson in the end, blind and beaten, but carrying out the mission of God than one who never fulfills their purpose of God and whose life was worthless. Go ahead, you could clap. So even though Samson is an extreme case of redemption, it speaks to us. Some of us have misguided hope that's not under the umbrella of God's kingdom. It's not consumed into the mindset of the kingdom of God. It may not be bad, but it's not consecrated. It's not holy. It's not pure. It can become our idol. We can get tripped up, whatever our hope is in. The conclusion is what what is your gift? What is your strength? What is your call? What is your purpose? Where is your motivation? Let's get it right. God, who gave you gifts, wants to use your gifts, your abilities, your talents to bring deliverance to those held captive by darkness, by the devil, by the lies and deception of the enemy of our souls. He wants to free those that are now walking in relationship with Jesus and experience that life, the joy of forgiveness, the freedom from death and hell, the promise of eternal life. And he also wants to bless you in the process. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. My two scriptures that I've lived my life by is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added to you. And the other one was when you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I made it my motive not to seek after the things for myself, but to make sure my heart is single-mindedly seeking after the will and the purpose of God. No plan B. I want plan A. I don't want to deter from that. Whatever it is God wants, that's what I want. I can have everything nice and comfortable, but if I don't feel like I'm in the will of God, I'm not okay. And though... You may miss it at points. The call doesn't go away. The gifts doesn't go away. Don't go away. What God intended for you doesn't go away. It may play out a little different. We may have mess-ups. But if Samson sat in that prison and said, all is lost, what's the youth? It's, it's too late. My time is over. He would have never accomplished the ultimate thing that God had intended. He brought deliverance. He did it. God has a plan for you. I could say, don't give up. Things may be hard, may not go your way. You may have regrets, but probably nothing like the regrets Samson had. If you want to invest your life into God's kingdom, it will be the most worthwhile investment you make with eternal rewards that beat anything you can pursue on the earth. And if you do it right, you'll have good stuff on the earth too, but you have to get it in the right order. The kingdoms of your heart have to be consumed into the kingdom of God. We have to judge our hearts. Are we there? Is God just a piece? Is he just a part? Is he somebody we fit in? Is his kingdom something we, we fit into the whole? Or is he it? Is he it? Is he it? Is that it? Is everything else consumed under it? That's where we need to be. That's the radical life we need to live. And then we will see the benefits, not only in our lives, but in the purposes of God. We trust that you were blessed. 
For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.